0: Hey everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, I am very excited to introduce some of you who might not have met my guest co-host. I am thrilled to have my friend. She is a licensed veterinary technician. She is a VTS in emergency and critical care. Uh, the wonderful, the amazing Tammy Lind with me on the podcast. Tammy is the ICU, ER, and immediate care supervisor at Purdue University, and We are together today for two reasons. One, she's amazing, and I think you all should have uh, the opportunity to get to know her a little bit if you've never heard her speak. And two, she is going to be presenting at our Practice Manager Summit. And when this episode is coming out, we are getting ready to close registration for PMS because it is happening so, so soon. And I want to make sure that if topics like the one that Tammy and I talked about today are of interest to you, that you have an opportunity to register for the summit and join us live slash virtually, virtual live. Um, I don't know what we're calling that, but join us virtually from your uh, couch, maybe in your pajamas and talk with other practice managers in the industry. We're coming together for our one day virtual summit and it's going to be awesome. Tammy is doing a workshop on um, shifting from being a member of the team to being Uh, a leader and also being the boss and the stress um, and challenges that come along with that unique road it's one that I have walked as well and so uh, anyways I got a mailbag topic that just felt as an ER supervisor right up Tammy's alley and so I am super pumped to dive into this so without further ado let's get into this shall we and now the uncharted podcast and we are back. It's me, Stephanie Goss, and this week I am joined by a very special guest—not my partner in crime, Doctor Andy Work, but in fact, my friend Tammy Lind. Okay. And Tammy is a. Okay, so you are, are you an RVT, LVT, CVT? What is your actual T? <laughs> um,
1: RVT is what is in you're
0: Indiana. an RVT. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And Tammy is a veterinary technician. I'm going to let her talk about her professional stuff because the alphabet soup is something that I always screw up. But I, I am super excited. Tammy and I met each other through our dear friend, Megan Brashear. And it's really funny. I don't know if you know this, but again, first moved from the West Coast to Indiana to work at Purdue, she started telling me stories about her neighbor, Tammy. And for years, I heard all these stories about what amazing next door neighbors Megan had. And it was a husband and wife and they had German short hair pointers, which Megan and I immediately bonded as friends when we met because we both had pointers. And I was like, I would see pictures on social media and she would tell me stories about how her dog Elliot like just made your house her home. And how you guys literally have a gate that connects your yard (laughs) so Elliot can come over and hang with your dog whenever she wants. And I was like, this, like Megan won the next door neighbor lotto. (laughs) And these people are so, so cool. I literally for years heard Tammy stories. I had no idea that you actually were also in vet med and that you guys worked together. I swear to God, I swear to God. And I remember, I remember going to BMX a couple of years ago and I remember it was either eric garcia or phil richmond one of them was like have you seen tammy and i was like oh did she like come down to go to disney with megan because i know you're a disney fan <laughs> yeah. too and i was like oh that's fun but why would she be here at vmx and uh, i think it was eric and he just looked at me and he's like um, because she's speaking and she's moderating and i was like what? and i was like no tammy's <laughs> megan's neighbor and he's like yeah <laughs> she also works at Purdue with her. And I was like, no, way!" like literally for years. Yeah, no idea that you work at Purdue so at well. I was just like, oh, she's just the cool next door
1: neighbor. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I called Megan up and was like, hey, we got this job. And she's like, OK, I'll take it. That's so I love great. It. So,
0: so anyways, you and I now we met and yeah. we immediately became fast friends because. You're amazing, and You're amazing. we love we love to get into trouble. I feel like together yeah. we're we're good partners in crime in that way. Absolutely, but you have pointers, which makes me super happy. Yeah. You are a crazy chicken mom. You yeah. so you guys live in Indiana. You Megan lives in the middle of cornfields, so I'm yeah. assuming you do too. Yep. And let's see if I get this right. So oh. last count, I knew about you had 27 chickens oh. and two goats.
1: Yes. Knock that to 21 chickens and four ducks. Okay, so we lost two chickens, <laughs> <laughs> as you do. Yeah, I, mean, I know. You know, stupid hawks. Life's hard. Yeah. Life's hard in Indiana. Yeah, I know the, <laughs> you know, living in a cornfield, having open, open air, the hawks are like, ooh, this nummy chicken nugget. Like, so mm-hmm. that sometimes, <laughs> happen, sadly,
0: but but so okay. So the other fun facts that I find like fascinating and part of why I'm so excited. Uh, to have you on the podcast. So is that you not only have you lived in Indiana your whole life, right? But you have been in working as a technician or working in vet med at Purdue the whole time that you have been in vet med? Well, yes, yes and no. So
1: I have been in vet med since I was like fifteen, sixteen, and so like I did, you know, mm-hmm. I started out as the bottom, did the kennel work, and mm-hmm. then I did boarding, and then went mm-hmm. into a room, and then did the assisting thing, and then I didn't even know what a vet tech was, and because I mm-hmm. I worked in a vet clinic, but they didn't have vet techs, they had, you know, they they just had support staff, and the doctors so, were doing everything, like they were doing, they're the ones drawing blood, they were the ones that was doing all the paperwork, they are the ones that was talking to the clients, so I had no idea, you know, what a vet tech was, and so. Then I came down to Purdue for college because I thought I wanted to be a vet. And then my advisor was like, so what do you like about vet, vet med? And I was like, mm-hmm, I like the hands-on, the nursing care, the talking to the clients and all that stuff. And they were like, you don't want to be a vet. <laughs> and I was like, uh, what? And they're like, no, you really just want to be a vet tech. And I was like, what? And so then I explored that whole thing. So then went to school. Got my bachelor's degree in veterinary technology in 2010. But in 2009, like you can graduate with your associates and get your license. And so I went once I, you know, once I hit the college realm, I was like, I need a job because I am a person that has to be busy all the time, no matter what I'm doing. So I put myself 110% into whatever I'm doing. So I went to, I... After I got my associates, I did a, I did a stint in general practice and did general practice with rehab and was also a student worker at Purdue. And then in 2010, I decided that GP just was not like I needed to like do something more. I'm always someone that always wants to go like, okay, Okay. I hit this bar now, which (laughs) bar can I hit next? And so I was like, I could, I could work at Purdue. And so I Mm -hmm. went back and once I graduated with my bachelor's, I automatically went into Purdue with my bachelor's. So my full time vet tech career, yes, I have always worked at Purdue and Purdue has stayed. Okay. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. And, and so you became an RVT and worked at, at the hospital. And so what like, you know, when you're working, in a veterinary, a teaching hospital, there's all kinds of departments and options for you to kind of explore as a team member. What, where, kind of what was that journey like for you once you started at Purdue? Where, where, where did you end up? Uh, yeah. So when I started, I started in the ICU and the ER department, obviously,
1: because that's where I have stayed. And we had like five people working. I think it was, you know, for the 24 hours, we didn't have an emergency service at that point. Um, We kind of just started it at night. And so the people like we would Mm -hmm. just take emergencies like in the ICU, you know, doing it old school. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. so I was a tech for about a year because I was like, I'm going to fix this. Like, I'm going to I'm going to help this place. I'm going to grow it. And, you know, being a new grad going into a Academic facility was different because you're with a student and now Mm -hmm. you're teaching, you're teaching on the floor, but you were just a student. And so, right. And so that was a little (laughs) weird, like doing that transition because I still knew the DVM class and I still knew the class below me, but now I'm trying to teach them. And also, like, you know, you're kind of friends with them at the same time because you're all the same age. So that was a little, that was interesting, but it's fun because you're also still learning with them. And so you could still teach the stuff that you have learned, you know, along the way, but they're also teaching you how to teach. And so that, that was a lot of fun for me. And so I was there, so I was a technician, like an ICU ER technician for a year. And then my criticalist came to me and was like, hey, I think you would make a really great supervisor. And I was like 23 years old. And I was like, heck yeah, because you know me. I'm going to reach, I hit a bar. Let me, let me just drop it.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is something I haven't tried. Let's try this. Let's try this. (laughs) So
1: I became the supervisor of ICU and ER 24 hour facility when I was 23 years old. And all of those people were you know my friends and all of that and now hey i'm their supervisor like it was like a overnight type of situation (laughs) that was that we'll talk about that transition i'm sure at some point (laughs) because that was a mess you know just trying to learn how to lead yeah at the same time as you know navigating all the relationship learning the job yeah it was yeah it was a nightmare
0: well, and that's what you're. You're so you're. We're doing this podcast for a because I just want to talk to you. And we were saying, <laughs> oh, this is probably <laughs> yeah. going to be. A, Andy's Andy's going to be like, watch the clock, Stephanie, because it's going to be a long one because we could talk all day. Yeah, and you're going to be doing a workshop at our upcoming Untorted Practice Manager Summit because I w- we were talking as a team about you know content ideas, and I said, hey you know, one of the questions that I get the most is as a manager from younger managers who are just getting started is how do I navigate, especially if you grew up in the hospital or you've been there for a long time, how do you navigate making that transition from being friends yes, and coworkers to being the boss, especially if like you, it happens really quickly, you know? Yeah. and And I think over, I know over the last few years, I've gotten more and more of those questions, especially as the landscape of, veterinary medicine has changed and we've seen a lot of corporate consolidation you know if there isn't a practice manager in place when a practice is bought that's usually part of the sale right and so they're like someone has to be willing to take this on and so they usually like un- unfortunately uh <laughs> the, the process usually is let me look at the team who's the technician who's been here the longest hey you tammy yeah. you want to become the practice yeah. manager You're like here. You got it with no training. You've been here. You've been here the longest. You know everybody.
1: Like of course you have great technical skills. You you have great people skills. You might be an extrovert. Like here here you go. (laughs) I know. Yeah, I've been getting so many questions about that at my lectures and stuff because there are so many people that are going into manager like managerial positions that have not had any managerial training whatsoever, and people just know that they get the job done and so then they think that they can lead at the same time like getting the job yeah. done so
0: yeah that's it's a crazy and, and i think you and i like i certainly feel like you've been successful and i feel like i have had success in my career as well and at the same time like a big part of what why i love what i do now in focusing on education and focusing on tr- training with hospitals and teams is because I don't want anybody to have to learn under fire the way that I did. Right. Yeah. You know, like I, I just, I want, I don't want people to make, have to make the same mistakes that I did getting thrown into that deep end because unfortunately that is how a lot of the times we, we hire and it's certainly not the smartest in any way, shape or form. And so I think that's, you and I have that in common, like that passion for teaching and education and, and really like trying to help change the profession in a better way, recognizing like, okay, if we can't change the behavior here, like if we can't make people realize this is a bad idea, like you can't just take someone who has really good technical skills, who's really smart and might be a really good people person and throw them into a position with no training, no support, no plan, and and have them succeed without having a lot of failure along the way. And so... I'm super excited for for your session at the Practice Manager Summit, and we'll drop the the info in the show notes for all of you guys. And it was funny because we were talking about you know the the conference coming up, and I said, "Hey, you want to come on the podcast with me?" Because a, you're fun, and I love talking to you. <laughs> but also, b, I was like, "Hey, I got this mailbag question, yeah," and I told you last night is really funny. I have to admit to our podcast listeners a little bit of a dirty secret, which is (laughs) I say this with all the kindness and love in my heart. And I am so appreciative of the crazy ass people like you, Tammy and Megan and all of our colleagues who run 24-7 ER or specialty practices because running a hospital like that is my absolute biggest nightmare as a practice manager. Like I, that is the job you could not pay me enough doll hairs in the entire world. You could not promise me enough trips to Disney to make me to make me want to take a position in in that environment because it is like the job is hard enough, I feel like in GP and it is I have a lot of empathy for for you and our colleagues because working in a 24 hour setting, working in ER certainly, and but specialty as well, there's so much more emotion on in the team, in the clients, you've got, you know, high cost bills, you've got challenges. I mean, everybody has staffing challenges, but yeah, you have a unique challenge when you're talking about Monday through Sunday, yeah, 24 hours a day, you yep. know? And so this, we got a mailbag question from an, in, in a 24 hour practice yeah. manager. And I was like, I need somebody. Yes. I need somebody who knows this <laughs> life, who's going <laughs> to jump into this with me. So, uh, you know, Tammy and I are going to run through it kind of like Andy and I always do. So we got this mailbag question and it was from a practice manager who's running a large 24 hour um, facility. They have both an ER service and specialty services. And they said, you know, staffing in the ER is a perpetual challenge. Like hiring is is hard for everybody and it's a pretty large facility. So they're talking about 100 plus team members that they're kind of trying to keep staffed on a regular basis. And so when you have a group that large, they said, you know, we have some very distinct friend groups within that. And I can imagine that, like if you're working overnights, you hang out with the overnight crew, you know, because you're on the same schedule and you're who else is a vampire and <laughs> waiting for the day and up at night, right? Like that's right. That made sense to me. <laughs> and so their challenge lies in the fact that these groups are, you know, not co- it's not causing problems, it's not causing drama, like everybody gets along. And there are some of the groups that have started to uh, request time off together because they're, you know, they're on the same schedules and they're trying to go to concerts together or travel together or go to conferences together. And so the manager was like, you know, I get it because I have friends within our team actually and I would like to be able to do things with them as well. And I'm really struggling because I know that I have a responsibility as the practice manager to the business and keeping the business running efficiently and effectively. And I also want to keep the team happy. Yeah. And I don't want to lose team members because I need—I desperately need them and, and staffing and hiring is a problem. And they were like, I basically feel caught between a rock and a hard place because if I accommodate their request for time off, then we often run short-handed or we have problems on service by not having enough hands on, on deck. And if I tell them no then they get frustrated yep. and it causes, you know, I they th- people have threatened to quit. Yep. There's drama often, especially if you say yes to one person, but say no to another, yep. then they're both pissed. Then you have to deal with, you know, the last minute call outs and all that kind of stuff. And so they were like, you know, how do I navigate the line between making sure that the team gets the time that they deserve, like they're wonderful and I want yep. them to take care of themselves and they understand wanting them to be able to have time off with their friends. And also, how do I, how do I walk that line between that and also staffing the hospital and doing my job as the manager to run the business and run it really well? And they were like, I don't, I want to excel and I want to keep growing as a manager. And I know that being a manager means making hard decisions, but also I want to keep my friends. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so. They, I, love their, I love their signature, which was sincerely a balancing act practice manager. I know. Manager. It was, was really like, cute. I love, I love it so I know. I love it. And so I got this, I got this email and I uh, sent it to Tammy and she was like, oh my God, I know something about this. <laughs> yes, I do. Because, <laughs> you know, it's so
1: hard because you want like Purdue, you know, academia gives so much PTO. So we have, you know, 22 sick days and 350 hours of vacation and all of this. And I want people to use it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, but then the business side of me is like, if nobody shows up to work tomorrow because they all took it off, then they're not going to get a paycheck because we're going to have to shut down. So, you know, we have to, like I said, like she said, we have to like this fine, this fine, fine line. And I... Love my staff dearly, and I tell them that I want them to take vacation. But when they first start day one, because you know, I every single time day one, I give them a list of expectations. So, all of my expectations, you know, it's to it's you know, policy things, it's you know, I expect you to treat the students with respect, you know, I expect you to (laughs) treat the (laughs) patients properly. But then, one of my expectations on there is you know you are required to give me 30 days notice of a vacation and then i say in that then i have the policy that i have attached with it and i give that policy mm-hmm. that is 30 days in advance i'm i only allow one person on the overnight to be gone one person during the day to be gone um and then you know they can figure that accordingly cuz the scheduling system that we have they can see who's off and who's not. And then I have blocked days so that, you know, if two people have already called out, then I've blocked that day. But then Mm -hmm. you still have the people that are going to come to you and be like, no, no, I'm just telling you I'm taking this Mm -hmm. day off. And so as a manager, like you kind of get put in a rock in a hard place because you're like, no, I really want you to take vacation. I was like, but can you help me figure out like how... Can we work together so that you could still have this day off? And, you know, I yeah. feel like sometimes, um, you know, people put all of this pressure on managers, like, especially in a 24-hour facility, like, you, you're, you know, you're going to have to find coverage for me. And... I would love to do that, but I also, if I'm unable, because of how short-staffed we are, I also, as a human being, cannot be there 24-7. And and so I've done that before because, you know, circumstances where, you know, someone's grandmother died and so they had to go to a funeral and then we didn't have anybody on the overnight. So yes, I have done, you know, major stints of, you know, long, long days. But as long as I, you know, show empathy and tell them, yeah, I want you to have this day off. Let's figure out how you can have this day off. And so a lot of the times I switch people because they're on a rotating schedule already. So they work, you know, three months of three months of, you know, Monday through Thursday, and then they'll work three months of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or and they work Mm -hmm. four tens or I make it so like, okay, is your life better If we do 313s, can we fit this into the schedule so that that works? So I always work with their schedule and them to see how we can get their most PTO days off, even if we're short-staffed, because that's when I want them to take PTO the most, is when we're short-staffed, because I don't want them... Because that's when everybody's stressed. Right. Everybody's stressed and burnt out. And so I'm like, you need to take some time off. Like... Please take some time off. So let's figure out how you yeah. can take some time off, and if it does mean like me moving around my days, then I move around my days too. So, yeah, yeah, it's a
0: lot. Okay, so 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 let's start because there's so many things in what you just shared to unpack, <laughs> and a lot of them, a lot of them come in you know like a- action steps in terms of like systems and processes to to have in place. And I want to, I definitely want to work through those from a, I think from a headspace perspective, like starting at the very top is just recognizing that like, you're not, you're not alone. Like it is being a, being a leader involves making hard decisions. Yes. And I think that I, I think that I knew that it's like people tell you being a parent is the hardest job in the world. And like you say that, you know, but until you actually like do the thing, you don't know how how hard it is. Yeah. And I distinctly remember the first moment as a parent where I was just sitting there and I it was like, holy shit, this is what they meant about it being so hard. And I think it's the same way about being a manager, yeah. where you know that it means making hard decisions. And you know that you're gonna have to grow up a little bit, especially if you're becoming a manager as a as a young, a young adult but i think until you actually do it and you have to be the one to say no to somebody's time off mm-hmm. or to do the hard thing like i think you don't actually know how hard that that really is and then for me like you i i worked my way up through the team and so i was friends with my team and it made it doubly hard to look at people that you were friends with first yep and make those hard decisions and deal with the emotions and recognizing that they did, they they understood that you were in a hard position, but also they're mad at you because they expected they expected you to yeah. see their side because you're friends, right? Like that's what friendship is about: supporting each other and and understanding. And so I think that there is this like uns- for me, there was this unspoken thing from from some of my friends of like, well, I just kind of figured that you would see it my way, and it's like I do see it your way, and I understand. And also, my job is to balance yep. things for the for the business and so i think i think that that's the hard part is and the important part to remember is like it is hard and also yep. you're not alone cuz everybody who is a manager i think goes through this in some way shape or form of being alone and feeling yeah. alone at the top because you're having to make those hard decisions
1: yeah and i made the mistake when i first i mean mistakes are how i learned you know how to became how to become a manager and the first like month of me being a manager because there was, it was a really toxic environment when I first came in, like, you know, everybody was talking bad about people. The overnight people were falling asleep, like in the middle of the ICU. And so, you know, we, I was like, okay, how can we figure out, how can we all get together and figure out how to, you know, get along basically, because nobody was getting along. And so we decided to, go to Nine Irish Brothers, which is a bar in town, like to have dinner and dinner turned into every, like the whole staff drinking, which then I was the only one that wasn't drinking because I was like, this is going to, this is going to be real bad. And so then we ended up, they ended up like basically just telling me everything that I needed to fix. Like it was, you know, seven o'clock on a Friday night. event,
0: event yeah. session, And it
1: was just event session. And so here I am, this young 23-year-old technician, new manager, had a napkin on, in front of me and was writing all of this stuff down. And then I went home and I cried because I looked at my husband and was like, I don't know if I can do this. Look at all the stuff that I need to fix. And he like looked at me and was like, you really are going to base your whole thing on a bar napkin? like. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. For perspective, right? right? But, you know, and it's like little things like that that you just like have to take a step back and be like, okay, what is the solution? Like, but you have to, you can't go to a bar and get those get that stuff done. Those are done in one-on-one sessions of like writing stuff down and being like, yeah. okay, what is your solution? Like what do you want to happen yeah. from this? Because venting sessions and solution sessions, I think are totally two totally different things because I, you know, as a young manager, every time somebody vented to me, I thought I needed to fix it because I was a people pleaser and I wanted yeah. everybody to be happy. Yeah. And so yep. now I'm a definite, like, if somebody comes and talks to me, I am like, is this, do you need me to do something about this? Like if they sit there and they, you know, obviously Break. unload. Or am I just listening? Right. Do you need me to listen or do you need me to fix? And a lot, 90% of the time, it's just, I need you to listen. Okay. But you know, a lot of the times it's like, okay, I need you, sometimes it's, I need you to fix this. Okay. Then what, what is your solution to this problem and how can we both work together to fix it because I'm yeah. not supposed to be a fixer even though my boss who is Megan bershire tells me all the time that I can't fix everything because it is true still part of me wants to fix everything so because st- you're the you don't lose the people
0: pleasing right. like that is that's part of who you are right you can't control everything <laughs> you cannot especially no. especially as as a manager, okay, so like first, just recognizing that that you're not alone, and yeah, I would say for for me, learning how to solve problems like this got immeasurably easier, and if nothing else better because I had other people who understood when I found a community of managers, and so for me, that was my local. It's, it's funny. I, I started in a, a mom and pop GP. It was a husband and wife team and they had an office manager who had kids that had gone to school with me and who was, you know, just one of the kindest people ever. And she had this group of, it was mostly the wives of the veterinarians who yeah. owned all the other local practices. And technically they were the managers, but they, you know, it was like as they were, they were the wives Yeah. and she would go to lunch. And, and before I came on board, it was a lot of, you know, talking about the kids and grandkids and that kind of stuff. And then when they started bringing me along in the practice, it was like, Hey, I want to hear how you have dealt with these kind of challenges because I don't know what I don't know. And that gave me, I'm still friends with some of those women today, some of the best mentorship that I've ever had in terms of facing challenges in the practice, but finding that community of peers, even if they don't look like yourselves. And that was, that was hard for me because I'm like, I'm this 20 something kid who's going to lunch with all these like 60 year old women, 50 year old women. And it didn't necessarily feel like it was a it'd click that in that sense. But what I realized afterwards is that I wasn't trying to find friends like I had friends on the team. I wasn't trying to find friends. I was trying to find a community of people who were also doing my job and understood the challenges that came along with it.
1: So yeah, I had to find people outside because we have managers like within the university. So like, you know, Mm -hmm. surgery manager and we had an internal medicine manager and those guys were so helpful with like the, you know, day-to-day stuff so like you know hey this person has a bereavement question like what do i ask with that but it was the emergency stuff that they didn't really know how to handle understand yeah yeah and so i reached out i actually reached out to megan a few times i reached out to even somebody that worked down in indianapolis you know just i would find facebook groups And I would go on there and be like, hi, I'm new. What do I do about this? (laughs) Like I had somebody, I had one of my techs call me every name in the book, like every swear word you can ever think of. And my like my supervisory team that was in the building was just like, oh, that's not good, but you can't really do anything about it. And I was like, I can't. And they're like, No. I was like, okay, so then I go to, like, the Facebook group, and I'm like, I just got called all of these things. Like, I mean, I'm guessing she's real mad about something, so can we, can we, like, unpack this, and how do I move on from, like, what do I do with this? Because, you know, all the managers that I was working with was just kind of like, eh. It happens sometimes. And I was like, what? No. So so yeah. So you gotta (laughs) figure out which people you blend with too. Yeah. Yeah. Because you you know, certain managers will do things totally differently and it works for them. Mm -hmm, But it mm -hmm. may not work for you.
0: I love that. I I think that's one of the things I love the most about getting involved in in peer groups and in organized organized. Medicine from the management side is getting to hear the different perspective and I know like I always that's like I said I you couldn't pay me enough money to run a 24 hour practice but I always <laughs> appreciated the perspective because we would have these meetings locally and it started with just a small group of managers and as a lot of those wives and as their husbands kind of retired and the kind of the new guard came in along uh, with me and it was a lot of younger people the group expanded and I remember hearing stories from the manager of the big 24-hour specialty ER practice and I was just like, my life seems so simple.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh my God. And, you know, I don't want people to think either like that, you know, I've been doing this job for 13 years, but I haven't had bad days. Like burnout, burnout is real when you supervise a, you know, 24-hour thing because you, Again, if you're a people pleaser and you feel like you need to fix everything, like you cannot fix a 24 hour facility, you know, period. Like, so you have to, you have to work with what you're given. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you just have to roll with the punches and realize that you
0: can't fix everything. And Mm -hmm. so that's really hard a lot. Yeah. I think, and I think I'm so glad you said that because I think that's really the last piece from a headspace perspective is that generally there are a lot of people in veterinary medicine who are people pleasers but also in a management role especially in to to our writer who's like you know I'm friends with people and I care about them and I want to take care of them and it's really easy to put everybody else's needs first and you were talking earlier about you know, filling in when it's needed. And I think, especially as a young manager, the line between when it was needed and when I was influenced to do it or chose to do it was very blurred. And there was lots of times where I probably didn't have to do it, but but I chose to do it anyways and fill in on the floor. And there was no quicker path for me to burn out Then trying to do my job, put everybody else's needs first, fill in on the floor. And before I knew it, I was, you know, I was working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week and I was exhausted and I wasn't, I wasn't able to do my job, my regular job. Well, I also wasn't good filling in from a relief perspective because I was tired and I was cranky and I wasn't giving it the The care and attention that it needed either. And so, um, you know, there, I, there are several periods in my career where I went through that. And it's so funny because everybody's like, you know, I, I, it's weird having this podcast and doing the job that I do with Andy because (laughs) I meet, I meet people at conferences and they're like, you know, I listen to you on the podcast and, you know, you, you're, you've got, uh, great, great things to say. And like, you just seem like the kind of manager that I would want. And I was like, I appreciate that. And yeah. also, please don't think that I have my shit together because I right? and there I know that I have been a horrible manager to work for at times. I also know that I have been uh, a phenomenal manager to to work for, and it's it's about finding that that balance. But yeah. I think that was that was a thing for me is that you know people will be like, oh no no no, at my last practice I got into that cycle where I was trying to do everything for everybody. Yeah and and i i was I was burnt I burnt myself yeah. out and I burnt my team out along the way, and I did nobody any good so I think I think the 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 last piece of headspace you hit square on the head, which is like you have to come to a place of acceptance with the fact that you cannot make everyone happy, yeah, and being a leader is about making the hard decisions, and in making those hard decisions, you are going to make people unhappy, including yourself sometimes. Yeah. And so I think like working on finding that acceptance and I will say like the best tool for me there besides finding a peer group that I could actually work through and to your point, hear how they do it and kind of figure out what my style was and maybe do I want to change things? Do I want to adapt what I'm doing? Do I want to keep doing more of the same? The best thing for me was, was going to therapy. And getting, getting started on a regular, <laughs> yeah. a regular, a regular talk therapy space where I could have a neutral third party to just kind of yeah. word vomit on. And then it's for me, it's like the satisfaction in, I think about therapy as like, I'm shaking a box of puzzle pieces and then I just throw it all out on the table. And then <laughs> I just move all the pieces around and eventually it, it becomes clear and it becomes a puzzle. And you know, but it takes that like, Someone else's table, uh, you know. Someone who has no. Yeah, it, it's not my friends. It's not my partner. Mm-hmm. It's not my, you know, parents. Because people who love us and care about us are going to. They are also people pleasers. They don't want to see us hurt, and yeah. so it's rare to have people who will tell you the straight up truth. And if you have those friends, like, please hold them close because they are amazing and wonderful people. And <laughs> it's really easy to be like, no, of course not. You're right. you're you're wonderful. Even if I'm, as I'm listening to you say something, I'm like, Oh, that was a dick move, dude. Like, yeah. you know, but because that's yeah. what friends, that's what friends do. And so I think, I think being able to have that neutral person who you can talk things out with is really, really helpful because things will get hard. Yes. It will, it will be hard. It will be rough. And being able to take care of myself was really, really important from a, from a burnout perspective for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, me doing this for 13 years, I have gone in that downward spiral of I need to fix everything and I need to be here for everybody and I need to, you know, work seven days a week and I need to go into work and I need to do this. And and sometimes, you know, you have to catch yourself, like realizing that this is happening again, because like right now, I'm, you know, down a bunch of technicians because it's a specialty hospital ER, you know, you go through the cycle and, you know, we are hiring, we actually are hiring a lot of people, which is amazing. But I right now am in this cycle of I have to be there all the time. I have to do this. Like, I feel bad. They need PTO. I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to do this. And but I'm realizing that I am not a good like I need to set an example for them and if I can't be a good manager to them because I'm working all these hours and doing all these things and you know trying to be be all to everybody and if I burn out then they're also going to see that burnout which then nobody that doesn't benefit anybody either so yeah you know you just have to dig yourself out of the hole and I've been in the hole a few times because I'm a people pleaser and that's what I do and So I just, you know, you just got to pick yourself up and dig yourself out and go to therapy and Mm -hmm. talk to people and, you know, (laughs) try and try and figure out where your boundaries are to, you know, be like, yeah, I am a manager of a 24 hour facility. It is really hard. Now let's figure out how you can also protect yourself as well as protect your team. So, yeah.
0: Okay. So I love that. Let's take a quick break. And then you already started unpacking some of the action steps that I want to talk about. So let's take a quick break and then we'll jump in with some action steps for our writer because... I think that that piece is is the hard piece. Yeah, sounds good. Hey there, podcast listeners. I want to take a second and talk to you about our Leadership Essentials Certificate. Now, some of you have heard Annie and I talk about it on the podcast, but if you're new or if you haven't heard this before, I think it's really important, which is why I'm going to share it with you now. When our team sat down in the very beginning, we said, hey, look, we really believe that there is a foundational truth here to build off of, and that is everybody that's a part of the Uncharted team, everybody that is a part of the Uncharted community and finds us tends to believe that every single member of the practice has value and worth and deserves investment in. That's number one. And number two is that everybody on the team is needed and needs to have some basic leadership professional, personal development skills, and business development skills in order to help the practice and the team run as efficient, effective, and rockstar-ish as they can. And so um, our team sat down and said, what would that look like? What would be some of those things that we would want every member of the team to have access to in terms of learnings? And after the last years of doing content for Uncharted, Annie and I pulled together the best of hits in terms of those foundational level content and workshop questions and discussion questions, and we put it together in one awesome, if I do say so myself, awesome, awesome package. And that is our Leadership Essentials Certificate. And so if you were like, hey, I would like my team to be maximally efficient. I would like them to be maximally effective. I would love them to learn how to be better communicators and how to work together as a team. We've got you. And if you're someone on a team listening to this right now and you're like, hey, I would like to do that. We've got you too. There's the ability to take one module at a time. You can buy the whole certificate. You can take it online. You can take it in a hybrid version where you do some workshop in virtual cohorts, but you also asynchronously watch videos. You can even come and do the whole thing in two days live with our team. And you can find out information about all of it at unchartedvet.com forward slash certificates that certificate with an S at the end because there's more where that came from and now back to the podcast. Oh but don't forget to go sign up okay so let's let's go back to where you started at the beginning because you gave us so much to unpack in terms of like how do you actually approach problem solving this? And I think the number one thing that you said that is a starting place for me is you have to have a plan before you need the plan. And that's one of those things that as a manager, like hindsight is twenty twenty. 20 And so if you're listening to this and you're like, great, but Stephanie, but I don't have a plan and I'm in the middle of this shit show. Like, how do I fix it? <laughs> Just like recognizing if you're not there yet, make a plan. And if yeah. you are there, you know, like this is, this, this is, these are the things that you kind of have to think about as you grow in your management um, journey. And so you were talking about kind of the, some of the processes and policies that you implemented so that there was some equity. And, you know, fairness is such a subjective word yes. for people, but that there is some equality across the board. And I think, you know, you, you said when you have, someone new who comes on that you sit down with them at the very beginning and you talk about your expectations, including the expectations around policies. And I think as a manager, like that is so, so important is making sure that the team understands policy. They understand what your expectation is as well. And so I think if you're a manager who doesn't have policies around time off in, you mentioned the length of time ahead that they have to request time off, which is really, really important yep. and helps you stay out of those holes. Like they can't come to you the week before right? and be like, hey, I need the, t- the time off. And you also have to recognize that they will because yeah, shit will, will come up. Someone will be like, yep. my brother decided to get married next Friday and I need the day off or I won tickets to a concert and yeah. I'm going to go whether you say yes or not. Right. Like those things will happen. And so you need to be prepared for them. And yep. it doesn't mean that you... Need to be the solution, but you need right. to be able to tell them what the solution is. And I love how you called that out in saying, okay, how, who's going to cover for you? Yeah. You know, like and, that. And, and that's one of those things that we forget because we were, we're people pleasers and we want to be like, sure, I'll cover your shift for you, no problem. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, it's hard because they're just like, well, I don't have anybody else to cover. And I was like, okay, so let's look at this together. Let's look at the schedule together. Can we ask this person to go, you know, to come in two hours later so that it covers this gap? I was like, you can have the day off as long as this gap is covered. So even if it's like two hours, like, all right, let's cover this two hours. And I, you know, I will periodically, like if it's like, you know, something out of the blue, like, oh, hey, my brother's getting married, you know, on a whim. You know, and there is that two hour gap. Then as a manager, I'm like, sure, I can cover two hours. Like that's not that's not that big of a deal. But if I've already worked like a 20 hour day or if I already know that it's going to be a long day and, you know, I'm like, okay, like let's work together to try and figure out who is going to work this shift. And so a lot of the times they totally respect that. I mean, 99 percent of the time they're just like, yeah, I get that. Like there's patients to take care of. You know, there's the rest of the team. Because, you know, a lot of the times I'm like, you know, your team members will have stuff like this come up, too. So let's how can we all work together to try and figure out how we can get this person off? Because, you know, everybody on my team respects everybody else on the team. I have a really great team right now. And so they just all are like, all right. Yeah. Like you want to go? You want to you need this day off. Let's figure out how we can get you this day off. So it's a team effort, not just the manager has to fix it.
0: Well, and I think you mentioned something there and something in the beginning when we were talking about it that was really key for me as a manager in terms of figuring out how to have that equity, which was rotations. And so like to your point, if everybody cares about each other and you're all there and you you do have that team, that sense of team, it's really easy to be like, we're just going to give and take. Like I'm going to give here Mm -hmm. so that I can take Take later and it and it benefits everybody. And I think one of the things that that changed things for me was recognizing when I first started, I worked in a smaller clinic and we had a smaller team and we grew pretty exponentially while I was there. And when you have like four people, you can probably have a set schedule. Yeah. That doesn't change. If you're in a GP and you have our one doctor practice and you've got like four team members okay, you can cover Monday through Friday, you know, maybe depending on what hours you're open and everybody can have the same schedule and it doesn't change. And if somebody's off, then you just, you you work short or whatever. When you get to be a bigger team, giving people the set schedule becomes harder and harder. And so the only way that I ever found to deal with it and to, especially like from a GP perspective, to deal with the dreaded, who's going to work Saturdays if you're open Saturdays or who's going to work the evening shifts if you're open And so I think that while it's nice, if people volunteer, and I imagine you working in 24 hour, like there, I don't understand these people because I'm not that way, but there are people who want to work overnight. Like that's their, they are night people and they want to be vampires and that's their jam. There are also people who are like, I would rather work a swing shift because it fits for my schedule or my kids, you know, school schedule or whatever. And I think if you can accommodate people's preferences, that is wonderful And the only way that I ever found to create equity was to have a rotation. And no matter whether people loved their schedule or not, everyone had to go through the, through the rotation because otherwise you get into the scenario when you have a big team where someone is always, someone is always pissed off or someone is always pissed off at other people because there's an exception to the, to the rule. And so I think from a manager perspective, like knowing what the rules are, and sticking to your guns and not making those exceptions will keep you out of hot water. And for me, figuring out the rotation, I loved your idea of like doing it in three-month chunks. And that was Mm -hmm. kind of how I wound up doing it with the bigger team as well, is like, let's look at the next three months. And I'm going to put you on as set of a schedule as I can over the three-month period. And then we're going to switch it up because it never... Let's be real. Nothing in vet med stays the same (laughs) for for big practices for longer (laughs) than a quarter or two. like. It just doesn't.
1: Right. And, you know, everybody has their different personalities too. So, like, you know, we have the rotation so that, you know, three months they're not working weekends, three months they are working weekends, or three months they're working nights. And then three months we put them on days. And that, you know, obviously helps with the turnover rate too, because people see a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. And we're not going to put a brand new, you know, technician that it's just graduated on weekend overnights by yourself. (laughs) Right. So, so, you know, we have that, we have that rotation so that people can experience all the stuff, but then, you know, you want to also give them the flexibility of not working weekends and not, you know, dabbling in you know the well, this person has kids, you know, so it's easier for them to be on swings, all right, let's keep them on swings, but then we still rotate them between weekends and days so that yeah it's you know easy, and yeah, here you go, but you're always gonna have that turnover, and yeah. so how do you fix that turnover because in e r you know you our schedules could change every month sometimes, right. depending on the people that decide to leave, and yeah, so yeah, like you said before. You just have to be prepared for that scenario,
0: yeah. but you can never fully be prepared for those types of scenarios. No, and I think that's the last the last piece for me that is really big, and you kind of talked about it in the beginning as well, which is, okay, you have to have a plan, a backup plan, and I would say you also probably have to have a backup for your backup, and <laughs> Andy and I have talked about this on the podcast before, I think, but I... I always like one of the things that I think we do where we do a disservice to our teams is when we don't plan for the time off that we want them to take. And so most of us are like, yes, we want to give our team PTO. And to your point, like you guys have more in academia than than you do in probably a private practice GP, right? But one of the first lessons for me in terms of running a business was to sit down and look at my team and say, how much time does everybody have off? And then figure out if everybody takes all the time off that they get, how much holes do I have? And the reality was on a team my size, I had a full-time position. Like if ever, if no, let's, you know, forget the people taking time off at the same time because it always winds up happening. But like, if I put them back to back throughout the year, it was a whole year's worth of time off for my size team. And so I was like, oh, so my problem is actually, I need to figure out how to hire an extra person to cover all that time off because I do not it is not an acceptable solution to work short-staffed constantly. Right. Like when there's an emergency, it makes sense, everybody pitches in, but when it's constant, that's when the team mutinies. And right. so I think figuring out what your plan is for the coverage on a regular basis, which I also recognize is, is a little bit easier said than done because hiring <laughs> is hard. Yes. But like that should be something that we all strive towards as managers. And then the other piece of it is having a plan, a backup plan for that backup plan, because the reality is your relief person won't be available. Someone will get pregnant when somebody already has a two-week European vacation scheduled. Like that is just reality. And so figuring out to your point what the boundaries are and how you approach that as a manager so that you can maintain fairness and equity. And I love your approach of, I'm not going to solve this problem for you. I will help you solve this problem. And I'm going to do that by sitting here and teaching you how to solve the problem because the next time I'm going to expect you to be able to solve it yourself because I'm going to help you and I'm going to show you Yeah. and I want you to learn because the expectation is is that you now know what my expectation is. And next time I want you to be able to just do it without having to ask me. Right. You know, because if you come to me and you're like, hey, I have this thing. I won concert tickets and I'm going to go to Seattle for two days and party my face off. <laughs> I And if you come to me and you're like, yeah, and I already talked to so-and-so and they're going to cover for me, I'm going to say, great, have fun. You have the best time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but if you, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to have that excitement and empathy and energy when somebody is like, yeah, I'm going to take time off and I don't really care how it gets covered, but I don't, I don't know what to do right. and I'm not going to deal with it. Like that is... That is the struggle bus, and that's where it takes the every bit of self control as a manager to be like, "Oh yeah, let let's talk about this."
1: Yeah, and then you see, you know, you see this stuff on social media about how my manager didn't approve my time right. off, and right. then you yeah. know everybody bashes the manager. So sometimes social media could not be great for a manager. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a whole nother podcast for a different day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, totally, I would totally agree with that, actually. Um, um, okay, so to, to summarize, because we, oh man, we jammed a lot into this I episode. Know. So having, having, so from an action set perspective, you talked a lot about being transparent and being a clear communicator and doing that right up front, which I love when yep. you start team members, sitting down and laying out your expectations, being open and honest with them about, hey, look, this is gonna come And when it does come up, I want, I just want you to understand uh, my, I'm, I want to make everybody happy. I want to support you guys. I want you to have time off. And also I have to keep the business running. And so here's the best way that I know how to do that. And I need your help to accomplish it. And so here's the policies and protocols and procedures, having a plan before we have to use it. Anticipate. I mean, it's just like emergency and triaging. Like, you know, it's,
1: you have to anticipate the doctor's needs. You have yes. to anticipate what's going to happen with your patient. You just yes. have
0: to anticipate what's going to happen with reader. your team. It's fine. <laughs> but how do you do that? You figure out how to have fit some fair policies that have yep. equity built into them, so that everybody is treated the same. And you kind of the rules, and and then you have to really apply the rules to everybody the same way, and recognize that if you start making exceptions to the rule. Always comes back to bite you in the ass. Yeah, always. Even if you're doing it for the best of intentions, it always bites you always in the bites. end. Always bites. So having fair policies, figuring out some sort of planning and rotation so that everybody on the team shares in those challenges, both in covering time off, working the weekends, working nights, like you know, trying to accommodate everybody's preferences, and also making it very clear that was for me, I was like you, where I sat down and I'm like, okay before even at the interview and then part of their employment offer was that they understood that they, if we were open Saturdays, that they understood that they would be required to be part of the Saturday rotation. Yes. As, as, as a part of their employment. So then nobody could ever come back because I learned the hard way. Uh Nobody could ever come back and say, oh, you never told me that I had to work Saturday. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um. (laughs) (laughs) And then having, having a plan a backup plan, figuring out how you're going to like cover that stuff on a regular basis. So for you, having a large team and also having more time off mm-hmm. as part of learning the business, part of that should be an analysis of how much time off do I have? What is my coverage have to be like? And do I have appropriate staffing levels so that I can sustain that time off? And I truly can mean it when I tell people, I need you to take your time off because there's already a plan in place for how I'm going to cover yep. that. And then having a backup plan for that plan because it always goes it's Yeah, it sideways. gets blown out. Everybody gets COVID at the same time. right? Exactly. There's something in the water and everybody gets pregnant at the same time. Like just <laughs> how it works, right? I know. Huh. <laughs> um, okay, uh, Tammy, this has truly been a yeah. pleasure. It has been so much fun. If you love Tammy, which you absolutely should, you <laughs> should come check her out at the Practice Manager Summit. Don't miss out. You should. You should sign up for the thing today and then if you if you are a technician if you are a manager and you're out and about at conferences tammy does a lot of a lot of presenting as well and she's just super fun and so you should find her and you should you should get to know her and the crazy the crazy barnyard block that is her life (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) tell me about it (laughs)
0: because then they can they too can send you chicken memes all day long
1: And I feel like that's, you know, part of a manager to like meet other managers and then you get to learn how to take care of yourselves. Like you have like this little group that you can all take care of each other because, you know, you need a little support group, like we said before.
0: It is true. I love it. Um, Okay. This was so much fun. Thank you for being here. Take care, everybody, and have a fantastic rest of the week. Bye, everyone. Thank you.